Hello and welcome back to Dear Adam Silver. My name is Abigail Smithson and as always I am your host. I hope you all are safe and well and that your loved ones are safe and well too. It is important for me uh, just at the beginning of this podcast to acknowledge that while the virus is impacting all of us, the level of impact varies and COVID-19 has laid bare every systematic inequality we have as a society. Um, So I just feel like it's really important that we're all saying that we're in this together um, because to a certain extent we are, but then of course there's populations of people that are dying at a higher rate and uh, that is just um, including African Americans and Latinos. It's important for me to acknowledge that um, I just, while I do want to reach out and and that, you know, say that we're all in this together and that uh, we're all having this experience. It's just everyone is having a different experience with this and especially also people who have lost loved ones, um, which, you know, at this it seems like could could be any of us at any time. And so just really acknowledging uh, the disparity between different experiences here. Um, my guest today is Jeremy John Kaplan, an artist based in Brooklyn, New York. Jeremy has been on the pod before to discuss the Gold Nets project, his Gold Nets project, where he hangs basketball nets that he spray painted with uh, gold paint on hoops that either have no net or have a torn net. Um, And he does this where he lives, around New York City, and then also in other places that he just happens to be. And so I know he's done it in Philadelphia, where he's originally from, and um, in other places that he's visited, in other countries. And um, so, yeah, he's, he's, it's kind of his way as a, as I understand it, he is a pickup basketball player, and this is his way of sort of giving back to the game, is putting up these sort of specialized, specialized nets where they're needed and where they can be used. Um, Recently, though, in New York, because of the COVID-19 outbreak uh, that is endangering so many in New York City right now, uh, the city government has been, you know, the parks department has been removing basketball hoops and nets uh, from local parks in order to discourage groups of people from gathering there. So Jeremy has been going around to the parks where he knows he hung nets before and documenting the empty backboards that stand there now, almost completely useless. He has been photographing the backboards and then making cyanotypes um, out of those prints, which is a process very close to my heart. Um, And the final product is these sort of haunting, empty spaces. Um, And they're just true documents of this particular time. And as Jeremy says, they are small visual indicators of life during this pandemic. Um, So he's on the show today to discuss this new work and to discuss, you know, what it's like to be in New York City right now. Um, And before I get to the conversation with Jeremy, I wanted to read a section from an essay by Rebecca Solnit that was in the New York Times last week. Um, The piece is called Who Will Win the Fight for a Post-Coronavirus America? And here is the ending that really stuck with me. Will this catastrophe bring back the social safety nets we've been gutting for 40 years? Will it make the case for universal health care? Will universal basic income seem like a more reasonable idea? 
As consumer spending free falls while whole populations stay home, will we redefine what is necessary and important and how people's needs are met? Will addressing climate change climate change seem different in a world where air travel and consumption of consumer goods and of fossil fuel have been significantly curtailed, a world in which it is more possible to imagine sweeping change because so much is already altered. No one has the answers to these kinds of questions yet, because what so many disasters tell us is that the outcome is not foreordained. It depends on what we do, and then that depends on how we read what's happening and what we value and how that changes in a time of stunning upheaval. Along with the struggle to overcome a disaster comes a struggle to define what it means. The two struggles are inseparable, and out of them a new order emerges. So I'm a very big Rebecca Solnit fan as far as how she is able to dissect systemic issues within our society, within our everyday life, and explain them um, in a way that allows for a tiny bit of hope without selling short, suffering, pain, trauma, and the incredible shortcomings of, um, of our society. Again, the word society, <laughs> not wanting to overuse that. But so she does a great job of that. I've, I'm a big fan of hers. And I will put a link to this article in the show notes. And um, yeah, just I thought it was a, a interesting piece and just a well written and one of the, the better um, ways I've heard the situation and the potential situation we face after described. So again, thank you for listening. Um, and please share this share this episode with anyone you think is interested. Subscribe, rate, review the podcast. That helps so much. Okay, take care. It's um it's been interesting that basketball in many ways is kind of at the center point of this pandemic. Um, at least how it's playing out here. Um in the U.S. with, first of all, you know, I think that when the NBA postponed their season the same day that Tom Hanks said he had the coronavirus or COVID-19, that um, that was when things like took a serious turn, a more serious turn uh, Yeah, in public well, opinion. Sure, you know, um, I think your buddy Adam has probably done a fine job um, and did what needed to happen. I mean, I think, you know, that week it was like, oh, what an idiot Rudy Gobert is. Uh, I can't believe he, you know, jokingly touched those microphones and whatever. But I do think it was a wake-up call that people really needed, and I don't doubt that it has stayed off, the, you know, saved some lives in the process by just starting to get people to understand what that idea of flattening a curve is and why they had to just not pack 40,000 people into arena. Sure. I went to the Nets game the week before mm. I saw, um, um, it was really packed. Sure. The fri Friday night, the week of the week before the, the place was super crowded right. and it was a good game. Um, and I went with my wife and my sister and my really good friend, and 
you know, you were starting to kind of understand, you know, people were starting to talk about like whether you should be staying in and whatnot. But we had made these plans and we had these tickets and it was, you know, it might've been cavalier of us to do it. I think we all, you know, were shaken up afterwards, you know, once, especially this, mm-hmm. about, okay, people in the Nets organization have it. It's like, we really felt exposed. It definitely was one of the reasons why I, wanted to like, you know, self-quarantine and make sure I didn't have symptoms and stuff. Right. I mean, I think that there's so much of a disconnect as far as the information that we were given um, before things seemed to get more serious. I mean, I didn't think that I could, I would be personally impacted, like physically by the, the mm-hmm. virus. Um, so, I mean, I was on an airplane on March 10th. I drank mm. out of a water fountain. I mean, I um, was at a Big 12 Kansas uh, TCU basketball game, you know, right before that. I just, it is, um, yeah, things that seem ludicrous now, it was, there was like no question to me before uh, well, it I got also much more serious. What you're saying, like the, the retracing of the steps is wild too. Mm-hmm. I think everybody has done it. Like I have this moment that I kind of have played in my head where there's a really beautiful tribute to Kobe and Gigi across the street from the Barclays Center. And when I got to there, you know, we everybody kind of arrived individually and I was there ahead of people. And so I went across the street and took photos of the mural and it was this rainy you know, ugly evening. And this guy kind of stumbled up. I didn't know if he was a drunk or what was going on, but we had like a moment and, up, you know, just kind of looking at the mural together and it was nothing. But I remember he like made a point to shake my hand like sure. a couple of times. Um, and I think I was already well aware of it. And so like, you know, didn't touch my face and like washed my hand after that. But it's this moment that I kind of keep, like you said, the water fountain made me think of it. It was like, you know, and my friend, I had a conversation with him the other day and he talked about how he went on a hike and he t- or, like was on a walk and took a corner and there was a railing and he like put his hand on the railings, you know, and it's like those moments I think everybody's hyper aware of. Now I've never been a germaphobe at all. Um, and it's taken me some time to like, you know, I have my hand sanitizing like wipes. When I get into the studio, I have the mask, I have gloves. I like him trying to create these protocols for myself. Uh, but it is nice to like close the door of my studio, which doesn't even have windows because I make the sanitypes and so forth. Like I, I, you know, take the mask and gloves. Like I, I do like that, like sigh of relief of like, okay, now I'm, back into my safe space sure yeah and it is um yeah I, I just think those little the habits that are being formed will probably be difficult to um unform or like you know change once once things were able to sort of interact in the way that we were used to before I think that some of these things are going to stick around for a while as far as I don't know when the next time is I'm going to want to go to like a a basketball game that's packed yeah. Um, I mean, I want to go to the game. I just, I think there's going to be a lot of hesitancy around how close we are to each other, which is, uh, and I mean, that's just my own sort of thought about, about yeah, the future. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, well, I have yet to see the illustration done, uh, but I would like to see someone imagining what a, an arena full of social distancing looks like, right? right? Like everybody five seats away from each other, 
you know you have like these crowds where maybe they're couples or four people but then there's a distance around them like I wonder what that looks like yeah and just even thinking about how you how you like leave I was thinking about this with the Oklahoma City jazz game where it was announced that Rudy Gobert had COVID-19 that uh, the announcer at the game you know said the game's been canceled. Everyone should go home. It's like when people, when large amounts of people exit these spaces, they're right on top of each other. So just, you know, even aside from how we'll like sit and watch the game, also how do we get in and out of the spaces? Um, yeah, it's really – I was just – you know, there's um, – because I'm in Tucson, there's not as much shared sort of public space, I guess, or I don't know, as there is in New York City. Um, but I don't he, think anywhere is like some right. of these work is, you know, there's other cities, Mexico City and so sure. forth that have that kind of density. But, you know, I do think you're at an advantage or L.A. is at an advantage um, just because you have kind of less of your life is on top of one another. Yes, which I normally think I prefer having my life on top of someone else's. I mean, that's something that I miss about about living in New York is sort of that that closeness. Um, but yeah, I mean, just little things like pressing the button to cross the street. Um, of course, like we don't know. How, I mean, I, I think it's less likely, of course, that the the virus is uh, being transferred through surfaces or objects than it is through through people. But at the same time, it's like these things that. I normally do without a second thought are now yeah. like, oh, my elbow trying to hit this tiny button, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just been an adjustment. Um, and I actually have to tell you that I was on a walk around kind of the neighborhood uh, sort of just north of mine the other day, and I saw this piece of a basketball net in the middle of the street. I mean, it could it's not anything else. I mean, I know what a basketball net looks like. <laughs> and it was orange. And I'd never seen an uh, orange basketball net before. Or if I did, I, I don't have one myself. Um, and it was just this one little sort of I'll, – I'll send you a picture. It's this little sort of um, just one piece. And I stood there and watched it for a long time and was like, am I going to – pick this basketball net up off the ground and take it home during a pandemic like what am I doing um <laughs> and I did <laughs> I mean I did it really carefully and I've left it outside and it's almost been two yeah. weeks since that happened um Great. but that's just that was something that I felt was a part of this experience that I wanted to to have with me yeah I mean I'm sure you in collecting nets have taken home some bizarre things in the process i mean oh, yes. i've like you know found critters or whatever in like while, while i'm going through nets that i found right. um, but yeah i mean I, i've also seen a few orange um it's almost like a safety orange or something yes um, uh, they're nice looking nuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful color, and I think that color is not. Um, I mean, we'll we'll of course talk about this with with your gold nets, but the um, I mean, color is not as obvious. I mean, that's not as common in basketball nets. So Absolutely. I feel like when you see one in the wild, you gotta get it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's not yeah. like anyone could use that for anything else, but it was just. I was like, come on, there's a basketball net in the middle of the road? Like, I can't walk away from that. Um, yeah, it's a sign. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I think the other thing that uh, – so one of my friends that just moved to the Rockaways um, right before this happened mm. at the beginning of March, um, he has been sending me photos of the basketball hoops and, like, the the signs that are being put um, on the yeah. fencing around courts saying that they're closed and stuff like that and just the announcements that are being made. And so it took until the other day when I saw the, this photo of a basketball hoop with a piece of plywood – essentially drilled into it to keep a ball from going through it to I was like god I wonder what Jeremy's up to (laughs) (laughs) so please tell me what's been going on with um you know seeing some of your artwork um maybe uh taken down put away whatever yeah so the initial reports were that the mayor's office was going to remove 80 park locations. I don't know if that means 80 rims or 80 parks. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. But then I saw a number that was 1,700, uh, which I don't know where that figure came from. Um, but it did prompt me to very carefully in a car by myself all the protocol um, going to a a handful of locations just kind of to suss it out myself. Um, These were, these are locations that you knew you had put up nets at and you're like retracing your steps. Yes. Um, I went to about 10 locations and three of them, the rims have been removed. Um, And then there's also, you know, I was told that they went down in Tompkins Square Park and again at the Rucker. So mm-hmm. the city definitely took down a good amount of nets that I put up. Um, it's tough, you know, it's I'm, I'm trying to take time to, and reserve my judgment. I think desperate times come to desperate measures. I understand as long as they're, you know, bringing in cooler trucks to use as temporary morgues you know, the basketball courts aren't going to be necessarily anybody's top priority, but I do think to those that use the court for wellness and understand the situation that we're in, uh, it's a drastic measure to take. But again, I want to reserve, you know, any kind of jumping to conclusions about it. Um, but, you know, I've, I've had some conversations where I've talked about it being a slippery slope because you, you know, you've removed freedoms and, it looks like it looks and smells and feels like fascism, right? That's what kind of by definition, when you're removing these amenities from people's lives, um, whether it be under the guise of like saving them from themselves or what it what have you, uh, it's a slippery slope. But you know, I understand. But it's weird how basketball kind of became public enemy number one, and people you know, using know. that idea of like. We need to close up the, you know, get these rims out. Of, you know, it, I, I understand that people are trying to be proactive, um, but I do find it odd. And, you know, there is a certain social demographic that tends to be at basketball court locations. And, you know, some of these, you know, systemic issues that, were happening before we were in a pandemic are still alive. And if people are, you know, kind of enacting their thoughts and feelings in this way, it seems inappropriate, but, you know, I guess there's bigger fish to fry. 
It's very, it's interesting that you, um, I mean, I think all of this is, is so worthwhile discussing in relationship to what local politicians are doing uh, versus sort of at the federal level. Um, because, you know, it's, it worries me when when the president talks about, oh, we should, you know, he's no longer saying this, but when he was saying that the economy should be uh, up and running by Easter, blah, 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 all of these things, like that worries me um, also in the sense, but I mean, that he's not taking it maybe seriously enough or not thinking, not looking out for the majority of people in the country. Um, And then, of course, there's a way to look at what um, the mayor, what Bill de Blasio is doing with with shutting down the parks, that that is in some way looking out for people, um, uh, you know, the, trying to sort of flatten the curve and like the, the health of the, the citizens of, of New York City, but also that it's it's taking away freedoms. And when will those freedoms be reintroduced? And also New York City in particular is a place that I've always thought handles public space really well. I mean, or when I was living there, it felt that way as far as um, I'm thinking of the basketball courts that are on in um, Brooklyn Heights, like right on the water there, or the High Line mm-hmm. and other parks. And it just, there's a lot of places for people to hang out in very close to each other um, and be yes. kind of in, outdoors, which is a really yes. lovely thing, I think. Um, and for free. For free, exactly, for free. Like, it's affordable. Yeah. Those are affordable things to do. Um, There's just wonderful ways to to um, spend your time for very little money or no money outdoors in New York City, and especially as it gets warmer. It's, like, such bad timing with that. Um, yeah. But so it's, like, this, this, like, push and pull, and I think so much of the fascism and the fear aspect come from but when will the hoops be back? <laughs> like we, the, well, the unknown. I've had a lot of conversations. I've had a lot of conversations with people about that. Um, and I think, you know, basketball lovers alike are going to keep an eye on that. And, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if rims started to appear back in these locations. Mm. Um, ahead of the city if it seems safe for the general public to go back out there. But look, I would like to give de Blasio some credit for advocating for a rent freeze in New York city, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, again, the kind of bigger fish picture, um, I, you know, feel pretty strongly about that. And, you know, our governor Cuomo has, had this really adorable rebrand where everybody is wanting to, you know, be so thankful that you have a, you know, collected intellectual voice to listen to who's regurgitating this information in a manner that looks and feels like a leader would look, I, you know, give the guy the credit for not being Donald Trump and actually having some composure, but at the same time, you know, as of yesterday, he was making jokes about how his daughters aren't paying rent because of the 90-day rent moratorium. But by no means is it any other way of looking at it that if you have mortgages suspended, but you don't cancel rent, that is classist and it's really dangerous. So again, as much as I I'm so involved in basketball and, you know, I'm an advocate and an activist in that area. Like I am really worried about the psychological impacts 
this virus will have on people well farther down the line. And I think being unable to pay your rent uh, is part of that. And there's been a couple of nice stories to come out today was this um, guy who owns a mechanic in the gas station, um, Salerno in Williamsburg. Uh, He's a landlord and has hundreds of tenants and he canceled their rent. Um, But I don't think it's on the, you know, I don't think it should be individualized landlords. I think as long as there's no wages for people, they shouldn't be paying rent. Um, So I, you know, I have a lot of issues kind of sorting through this information and understanding where to like put my attention or my outrage or even what that's worth. That's why I'm kind of like, I think we all can take some breaths and, and wait till we get too up in arms about things. Um, But I do think that the rent cancellation is something that people should be taking more seriously. Even if you can pay rent, you know, my wife and I were fine for this month or next month or the following. She's continuing to work from home, but my income streams are canceled. So, you know, other than selling my artwork, um, I, you know, my, the kind of jobs that I get, you know, I had another one confirmed cancellation today that, uh, you know, if if it gets to be July or August and I'm not making any money, things are going to be really, really rough. And, it's weird that if, if an in, you know, rent is an income stream for landlords, why are the workers without their streams of income, but the landlords are going to continue to have theirs is again, it's, it's just very classist. And, you know, I think it's a bigger concern than me than the rims at the moment, but of course, you know. of course, no, <laughs> well, basketball and I, is not a crime. And <laughs> yes, I, I completely agree that, um, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, just everything is really sort of laid out in front of us right now as far as sort of systematic injustices that exist all the time. And this this virus is showing them in a very extreme, extreme way. So yeah. I totally agree that there are, are much bigger um, issues at hand as far as uh, I do think that to some extent – we are all experiencing this thing together, but everyone is sort of at a different level with it. Um, and it, and yeah. the, the lines between classes are, are uh, becoming very um, stark and, and obvious about, yes, who is paying rent and, and who can pay rent and who gets to profit, who gets to continue to like make money off of this situation during this situation. Yeah, and you get to see where people's empathy really is. and. Also, you know, kind of once it's like, don't bring your germs around me, you get to see where people really stand on immigration and different things uh, that I, you know, some of it is is good because I do think there's, you know, that collective spirit of, you know, we're in this together, uh, we're all riding the same wave uh, does affect people's value systems and, and people can understand maybe where to point their energy in the future. But I also think that people don't necessarily know how to kind of, you know, emotionally cross the line of putting yourself into someone else's situation. And the rent is why I do understand and take it seriously, because I think that, you know, if, okay, nobody's going to be evicted for 90 days, 
But if that person knows inside that they're not making any money and they miss the rent this month and they're going to miss the rent next month, and now you have this, you know, pending owed debt and, you know, looming judgment that will take place, that's a huge psychological impact for someone. Sure. You know, and what that might lead that person to do and what decisions they might have to take if they have to provide for a family or so forth. That's where it's like, okay, this may create shockwaves. And I, you know, unfortunately, I think people on the internet, which is where we're all congregating these days, you know, people have a lot of pride and would like to show themselves in a certain light. And I can certainly respect that. But I think more people would be talking about it and engaging about it um, if they really could understand what it would be like to, you know, if you didn't have any savings, if you didn't have any safety net. And now you're thing the streams of income that you rely on and, you know, a stimulus check of $1,200 is well been spent already after, you know, people are out of work for six weeks or so forth. Right. Yeah, that seems very out of touch. I mean, just the the amount and the uh, one time <laughs> as, far, as, as of now. Um, yeah. Because that just seems as though um, some people in Congress might not understand how much rent might be. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Oh, I put together some numbers, um, well, you know, just kind of generally kind of scratching the surface research for myself. Um, and it would cost about $16 billion to float New York City's um, residential rent for three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at that in comparison to a $1.5 trillion stimulus that went into the stock market. And it's like, well, maybe you could bail out this working class and still have... One point four seven. Sure. You know, yes. 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 Four, one, eight, four trillion left. To, uh, you know. Yeah. No. I mean, it. It seems, um, right. That I. Th- and I also just think this idea that any like none. It feels as though for me that so little of this money will actually be like spent on any businesses. Um, unless you're already in a really comfortable position, but you know, all of it is going to go towards rent. Yeah, rent, amenities, yeah. groceries. Right. Um, I saw I saw an interesting piece of information that was if you're saying to yourself, "What twelve hundred dollars is not going to last me?" You know, that's not enough. That that in comparison to if you were a federal minimum wage employee at 725 an hour that's still slightly more than four weeks of pay so if you're saying to yourself that $1,200 is not enough for you to get by for a month or whatever it might be then we need to take a look at what uh, you know how we value our working class people right um yeah it's it's really um get brought a lot of of these issues uh to light in a very fast, very profound way. Yeah. And this weird lack of leadership in our country has made it so that, you know, you or I's opinion 
may be a valuable source of information to someone just like, you know, I don't know how much I've been loving all of the live streams on Facebook or on Instagram rather Mm -hmm. uh, one in the same, but um, you know, I got a good amount of information from uh, Dr. Fauci, Fauci, I don't know how you say his name. Dr. Fauci. (laughs) You know, that was so cute. (laughs) That was great. That was really great. And then, um, AOC and Megan Rapino uh, was awesome, you know, and I and thankfully those are two of our, you know, somewhat in our in our government's leadership that you know, being able to then come talk to you know community athletes, extended communities, um, but you know, there's all kinds of people that are chiming in, and it's like, well, normally I would want to say that your opinion is probably better left to the experts but at this point when you know who are our experts and you know and our even when you have Cuomo that you know people are celebrating he himself is like making these weird out of touch like little attempts at humor and and trivializing people's entire experiences you're like well well, who who do we look to then Sure. I think um, I've been listening to some of Andrew Cuomo's daily briefings um, because I find them less disturbing than any other – I mean, like, less disturbing than the president's briefings. Um, A million percent. Yes. So – and it's – I mean, I just – I do think – yeah, I mean, I have found him, like, a little bit of a relief just in this whole climate, but that's also because for the past – um, you know, three and a half years, I've become very desperate for um, a, a, a leader that I don't think is, yes. is hourly lying to me. And yeah. I sure I commend him for that, that I, I feel like he's provided that for a lot of people in this really crucial time that you want there to be a steady voice in the room. Uh, and, you know, or just I, someone who's dealing with facts, like someone who acknowledges facts and current events yeah. as they are rather than um, – yeah, I mean I just – that's what I find sort of necessary is that he's dealing with thing, reality. <sighs> well, but there's a lot to be said, right? And I'm, I mean I'm no political analyst, so I, you know, I feel a bit like a fish out of water. But you're, you know, there's a lot to be said for some of our leadership's decision-making – not just Trump or even Republican decision-making, but some of our corporate Democrat decision-making has helped us arrive at this desperate place as it relates to the amount of healthcare that we have, the amount of federal money that has gone into that. Um, Sure. Yes. You know, it's tough to stomach. Like I do think that in the, some of our shortages, um, are at the hands of Cuomo himself. Um, and then instead of looking critically at, okay, why do we continue to uphold this system that doesn't work for everybody? Everybody sees him, you know, having the, the ship arrive in New York and everyone's like Cuomo for president. And I, mm-hmm. Hey, again, yeah. Any, there was a great, it's very trendy. There's, there's a great piece that I saw where, um, somebody said, um, everything looks like sugar next to shit. Exactly. And that's true. Um, but 
I don't necessarily think he's like a man of the people either. No. And I mean, I've had um, a lot of conversations um, with my sister who hopefully will be a future podcast guest. But um, I mean, she's a social worker and she has spent a lot of I mean, a lot of her job requires her to go to to prisons um, and to jails mm. to meet with her clients uh, who are uh, mostly uh, people seek, you know, refugees and, and immigrants. And mm-hmm. um yeah, she has. I mean, there's a lot. I don't want to like speak for her, but um, she, you know, there's a lot of frustration with how uh, Cuomo has handled the uh, situation with with bail and also how um, bail reform and how Bill de Blasio yeah. Yeah. has really let this um, situation with with coronavirus possibly, uh, you know, infecting and now actually infecting people within the, the prisons in, in New York City, that that uh, that should have been something that was addressed like for the first thing yeah. should have been like how like there this is already a problem how can we you know make sure that this doesn't become worse so yeah i mean there's just not um yeah it, it you can't point the finger at one person it's just um there's very little places to like look for for sort of people who are dealing with reality in the way that provides some sense of comfort as far as yeah. so yeah i mean i would say that alexandria ocasio cortez is is someone who does that as well and and bernie sanders and elizabeth warren and i do just miss you know all of these kind of swirling thoughts uh, are present on a you know on a normal month um but i do miss that escape of being able to watch some highlights or watch a game or you know and uh, it's been cool. I think people have, you know, trying to kick up dust on old conversations and discussions, try to, you know, kind of generate some banter, a lot of highlights. Throwback. I'm with it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been listening to Bill Simmons discuss like all the drafts of the late 1990s, like re- <laughs> redoing all of them. Um, excellent draft. So <laughs> that's... That's become a way of dealing with this. Um, I think I really miss, I mean, of course, I really miss watching basketball, especially this time of year. Um, I just think that, uh, yeah, it's just having it be at the center of this um, this event is is just such an interesting moment. And, and to Adam Silver, if he's listening, <laughs> I, I do, I mean, of course, like we can always say that people could have acted more quickly. I was actually listening to um, a podcast with, I think, the GM of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And he was saying that their medical staff was, like, telling them that this was going to happen six weeks ago or two months Mm. ago. And it was really interesting, to um, that they were getting sort of briefings on this. Um, So, I mean, everyone, you know, and, and, of course, because of how we function, it's really hard to make decisions that cost like billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I'm glad I'm, so, I'm, I'm glad that he made the decision when he did. Um, and, yeah. and um, it, it had a lot of, I mean, I think if they hadn't done it, the NCAA wouldn't have done it. I mean, it was really important that someone had to do it first. Yeah. And so um, I, I appreciate Yeah. That. I mean, spring training was going on. Sure. Opening day has come and gone. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you have any theories of or proposals for how they they should come back? Oh. So I'm very. I mean, I'm based on my sources, Dr. Fauci. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I definitely think that they should just call it a lost season. Okay, so I also have to preface this with saying I know that my team was not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> if anyone's Done. listening, that's Talk not what in. this is about. It was already a lost season for the Warriors. Um, like, and I think we're getting the one number one pick if it ended right now. Right. <laughs> I mean, I definitely have to say that, uh, of course, this is also like a non um, – this is – not something where I'm putting a lot of empathy, but, you know, I think for Lakers fans, it must be kind of disappointing. And for other teams that were really contending, Bucks, um, Clippers, Sixers, um, Sixers. I just, Sixers. you know, that the, this could have been some team's uh, year. So that's, I can understand how that would be disappointing. Um, I, I don't know what, I mean, I think there's this potential for this, the playoffs to take place without fans um, is what I've heard is one of the options. I just, I think like maybe in one city, like in Vegas, yes, where yeah, they I've can like quarantine that. everyone and they're just, you know, they're, they're um, sort of separate, separated from anyone else, um, which I think could be really exciting. I, I think that uh, this, this whole situation will probably cause, cause the NBA to change something in the schedule. That's yeah. pretty dramatic um, for like, the foreseeable future, which is, I think that that could lead to some was, that was good that conversation was happening too. I think yeah, there's a I, lot of different ideas. Right. I have a fun idea. If there was to be a quarantined finish to the season mm-hmm. uh, in a neutral location, you know, say the some players are healthy again and some aren't, um, I would like to see them play out the remaining regular season as a one-on-one tournament. So the team, sends, the team sends one representative to play one representative <laughs> from the other team and they finish the regular mm. season based on a one-on-one oh, wow. tournament and that would could tip the scales on a uh, playoff seating. Sure. Who um, knows? Maybe the Warriors could get back into this thing. Yeah, who knows? I, mean, <laughs> I think it's going to take more than 20 games for that to happen. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, that's interesting. I like the idea of, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that could be a really, that could also just be fun in the sense that it's different rather than, I think yeah. that, I think, and, you know, we can use basketball as the way to talk about this, but like going back to the way things were before, even though I want to hug people and hang out with people and go to restaurants um, and whatever else, I also think that like, so much has shifted already and i mean this includes all the things we were talking about with these like issues that are built into our our existence and our like sort of you know collective society that like nothing is going to go back to the way it was yeah i I don't think i mean and maybe yeah so i mean i just i think that like leaning into the i mean I'm talking about the NBA specifically right now, like leaning into do, doing something that's like a spectacle in some way with the one-on-one tournaments, you know, or whatever it is, like yeah. could be could be beneficial um, rather than just, you know, um, we, we can't pretend that this didn't happen. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And you kind of, you want that moment, right? Like I remember the post 9-11 sports returning mm-hmm being this really triumphant unifying moment for people to kind of return to some level of normalcy. Uh, but you're right. I, I don't see that being a possibility in the same way. 
Um, I think it's because it's so much about, like, <sighs> it's just, it's about how we do everything all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I um, mean, I, I've been looking online to see if, did people start, and I saw one video, I don't know how accurate it is, you know, can't necessarily trust information being up to date based on what you see on social media, but a clip of a um, rec league returning in Shanghai mm -hmm. um, and, a, you know, guys being happy to be back playing. And I think about that for myself, you know, that thought crosses my mind 10 sure. times a day where I'm like, what will returning to a rec league, will I be playing against strangers in any capacity yeah. again in the future, whether it be in a park or in, in a rec league, you know, that's something that I always took so much from, you know, whether it be just going traveling to a new place and meeting new people and competing in a game that I love or that setting of having scorekeepers and refs and going in and, and getting my fix for the week or whatever it might be. Um, what does that look like? Right. Let alone what the, you know, professional or collegiate level will, you know, kids that maybe won't make it to play professionally, but they were getting ready to be in a March madness run. You know, those men and women, those young men and women, will they, get their eligibility back will that even mean anything in the future we don't know sure yeah right and there's so many um i mean there's so many structural issues within the ncaa and of course like march madness being this sort of seeming i mean terrible form of like capitalism in many ways um and and things like that, where it's like, I don't know if I want everything to go back to the way it was. I want yeah. better things to come from this. Of course, I am saying that from a place of, of privilege as well. Sure. Um, and no, I'm not, I'm not saying I want, I don't want, I have a lot of feelings about how many people have already died, how many people are, are going to die, a lot of fear around that um, for, for myself, for other people, for the people I love, for people I don't know, whatever it is. It's just, this has to be a, t a like a time of reconciling like the things that were exploitative or um, like uh, problematic before within like sort of these larger cultural entities. I agree. It's just hard to wrap your head around sure, yes. gathering <laughs> being being something that we can't return yeah. to. You no. know, and who I would think... have thought who would have thought that dinners and trains and planes were something that you would be taking for granted? Um, I know. I think that that fear will eventually be lighter. Yeah. You know, you have to kind of think that each time a new virus has come and impacted humanity there's ways that it took over, you know, whether it be, you know, the flu or smallpox or chickenpox even, or, you know, most recently, you know, some of the other Zika or so, so forth that it had a way that people were reactive to it. This one is on such a different mm -hmm. scale 
uh, and a different information age than some, you know, earlier. But I do think that once people become more educated and more understanding, I think that the extreme measures that we are all taking at the moment is simply to try to not overload our healthcare system. I think sure. that in a few weeks, you know, we should be able to, with new protocol and heightened awareness, being able to go back to some sense of normalcy uh, is something that I think we can look to, whether that be not until August or even next year. Um, I don't, you know, I, and I, I don't want to judge what people are doing. And I, yeah, I, I just, I think it's like, again, it's a slippery slope when you start to, you know, tell someone how to, they should be living their life based on what you know. Um, but I have, you know, I come to my studio, I've been to the park. Um, I gave a, you know, neighborly hello when I was in my friend's neighborhood in Bed-Stuy when I went to go take some photos of the park. She came out of her house for the first time in weeks. Um, but she told me that she was like, thank you for that because, you know, she was having some chest pain. Um, and that, you know, even just having been able to be in the sun and breathing oxygen uh, was good for her. And I do think, you know, some of that, like there was, I saw a great um, portrait project out of Philly that a guy was going and doing a portraits of his friends in their windows or their doorways. Yes, so I've forth. seen those. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think some of that is fine. I, I think obviously if you're gathering any larger scale than that unnecessarily like if you're going in making multiple trips to a grocery store when you could be being smarter about it you're you know going and just getting meal by meal and eating out all day or you're going and getting on the train just to like go take pictures or whatever i think some of that is irresponsible but i think if you're taking all of those things into consideration then it's fine um sure. and i think that if Again, it's like I worry about the psychological effect. And if people are afraid to live their lives yeah. again, what does that mean? Yeah. And without, you know, I'm, I, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm going nuts and <laughs> I can't imagine what I have some outlets, you know, I, I have sure, my, yeah. my, my practice, um, but, you know. Such a strange, strange time that I just never had imagined in any way. I think especially um, having spent this year sort of hopping around and and taking advantage of some of the opportunities that came my way art-wise, never was I thinking that I would be sort of unemployed during a pandemic. Yeah. Um, so. And I mean, we talked about what it would mean to basketball, but what, what about you know, I had applied to some residencies and fellowships. All of that stuff is now in limbo. I, you know, been working in galleries forever. When will going to seeing art physically become normal again? You know, where will this leave us? What new models, you know, digital viewing rooms can't necessarily be the new way that, you know, art impacts our culture. Because I think that is, it's like, you know, you're going to throw the VR goggles and walk through a, a, an art fair at some point. And I feel like, who cares? I, I think, you know, we have to look at 
what the you know, what's the real resounding impact for people and I don't know. Yes, I think that the other thing that relates to both of our work is that being being doing something physically, like being present somewhere in a specific place. Um which is not something that can happen. I mean, you were talking about it earlier with driving around to the basketball courts where you knew you had hung nets um, and sort of getting to retrace those those locations and see what had happened. It's like that's a really important thing to to do. I mean, for me, it's really important to, like, have some level of interaction, engagement. And so, I mean, the podcast fits well into that, but, like, Right now, we, we all need to be sort of, you know, this, like not engaging and not being present with each other in the yeah. traditional sense. I have to stop myself. I, there's, I went to 10, you know, of, I don't, I don't have the number in front of me about how many of the, the park locations there are in New York. It's probably 70, um, somewhere around there. And I've hesitated to go farther. You know, I want to go to the Rucker. I was just up there. I just put nets up there a couple weeks ago. I'm sure that was one Uh, of the first ones to to get hoops taken down. But out of wanting to be accountable, I don't. You know, I I, I kept it very limited. I only went out and photographed for one, like one time. And I I didn't go that far or wide. Uh, and it was, you know, wanting to be accountable to my family and my friends and those that I, you know, love, but also want to be accountable to everybody, you know, the same yes. way that we all are discussing. The person that you pass, like who sees you doing something, who you pass on the street, like wanting to let your actions kind of like speak for what you think is right. Yeah. And I would be the first one, you know, I've friends trying to get, let's go put rims right up right now and i'm like i i feel that very deeply i want to go and do that i want to go i want to get a game going right now just to feel free um but i don't think you know i think we have to be accountable for this time being again i think it's just to to reserve judgment uh until you know there aren't morgue trucks and healthcare workers pleading with people um, you know, and I don't, you know, I think we, we can't have this conversation without sort of acknowledging those that, you know, are really battling with this and not just kind of battling with it on a conceptual level, but of course. really, really fighting it. And, um, that's where I think, you know, you have to kind of trust what those people are saying and listen to what those people are saying and whether it has completely upended your routine and your lifestyle and your finances and everything. You have to still just settle into, okay, they need more time. We should give them more time. Right. And I think that this is something that wouldn't, like we wouldn't get all these perspectives from nurses, from doctors, um, pre-internet age, you know, like doctors are writing op-eds in, you know, really big newspapers and, you know, there's all these photos and videos and sort of explaining what's happening. Like that is a a real bonus, I think, of having um, access to 
to the internet or having that be one of our tools is that we're we're getting to hear from people who are actually dealing with this issue rather than people who are, you know, the expert opinion is great, but also like yeah. Dr. Fauci isn't in the emergency rooms right now. Um, and of mm -hmm. course, then like, you know, we already went over our our sort of issues with our, you know, various leaders and whatever. But I think that it's so helpful to get to hear from people who are they're doing it. They're the ones that are dealing with the shortages, reusing their masks, um, knowing that yeah. they might get infected themselves and then pass that on to whoever they love when they go home. It's like that yeah. is a powerful, important message. Yeah. And I think even just all being so interconnected in social media specifically um, has allowed it to really reach you know I think by now everyone is one or two degrees away from someone that has lost a life um, or someone that is in severe condition uh, and I think that is a harder thing to turn away from you know it's like I think all of the kind of weird tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists that want to say, you know, jump to say, oh, this thing is a false flag or this thing is a false flag. It's like, well, when it was just a report that came in your feed, maybe. But when it's, you know, I have, I have cousins in Italy. I have former colleagues in Italy, you know, that are like, this, you know, if they're experiencing what they're experiencing and seeing it with their own eyes, then you can't call it a hoax or a false flag or that it's not as extreme as it is, you know? And I think that that's the power of, you know, because I, I think, I, you know, I certainly don't blame anyone for thinking critically and not wanting to take information at face value. But when it is someone you know saying, you know, dozens and dozens of people are dying from this, you know, in a matter of weeks. In my small community, you have to then acknowledge that you can't, you know, you're not going to Reddit page this thing away. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, I think what you're saying about, you know, it, it is um, like eventually it will uh, be a part of, I mean, it's already a part of everyone's lives, um, but eventually like everyone's going to have a story that goes with it that, that has to do with someone suffering, losing someone, whatever it is. Um, and then yeah. it's impossible to, then it's, then it's can't be a political, it can't be. Uh, about opinions it's about um reality again yeah which again i you know we go back all the way to being able to put uh rudy gobert or uh tom hanks face on it was already a way of having it sort of hit home for people or at least sure hitting home farther than you know, I've never been to Wuhan. I've never been to China personally. I'd love to go, but I've never been. Um, and so, you know, for me, I am not someone that wants to think, oh, that's, you know, not my chair, not my problem. Uh, but we all have some weird instincts that do that. Sure, like us. with and the Zika that, virus. Yeah. To a certain extent, yeah. Yeah. So I think 
Right. I mean, I remember talking about the coronavirus in like early January with someone and just in my head, I was thinking like, this is happening so far away. <laughs> um, so it's not not the case. There's so much conflicting information. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who should be getting tested? Were they're not going to be testing people? Everyone should be tested. No one should wear masks. Everyone should wear masks. Yes, like, it's so hard to keep up. And at some point, I don't blame somebody that's just going to say, you know, I'm going to throw the blinders on and I'm going to live my life the way that I know how and try to not be an idiot. But at the same time, I don't want each new news story to guide all of my future steps. Yeah. You know, I do when I, I've been moving around, I've been putting a bandana or a mask on, you know, if I go into a bank or whatever I've had to do. Um, but, you know, I was definitely one of the people that at first was like, that seems extra. And and you listen to those news stories that, oh, well, in China, they were only masks for people that were already sick to not be sharing the infection, you know, and then now it's like it, in Shanghai or in Wuhan, it was mandated that everyone wear masks. But now it's also, again, like we're getting back to you lost your job, you are in dire straits. Where are you getting extra money to be buying masks? And now you have to buy a mask that's disposable and there's a new one every day. You know, it's like yeah. a, we really taking these things for granted. Yeah, I definitely. I don't know. I think um, we're realizing how little. Uh, after, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so little that's like provide as far as a social safety net goes. Um, there's there's little to nothing as far as, you know, what can be provided for people in need. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I know that you were also directly affected. I don't know how much you talk about it on the pod, but um, you were planning a beautiful celebration of your union. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it honestly now feels like, I mean, I still really want to get married, of course, but like it. It feels so small in comparison to all the other things that are happening. And um, just the idea to postpone it at the time felt really overwhelming. Um, Mm. And now it's like, gosh, that was the best decision (laughs) Um, because I just think it would have been an event with this uh, cloud over it as far as even if we had a great time, um, this fear about what might happen after And, um, yeah, I just think, uh, you know, it's supposed to be a day of like, you know, or this event that brings people together and we get to share food and dancing and music and, uh, all these things. And it just, I'm looking forward to doing that in a time when, when that's possible. Sure. And I mean, I was also having the tiniest wedding in history, so it took about five minutes to postpone. (laughs) So that that was helpful. So you're not just going to make it a Zoom wedding? Well, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) depending on how long this lasts, that's that is not off the table. Um, I I think that also just 
making a decision in like a pressurized situation about that it might affect other people in an extreme way, I was like, no, I don't, I rather do this another time than, than deal with this pressure. I do think that people are finding like clever ways of like building community or feeling interconnected, you know, I've been been playing in a dice game (laughs) and it's fun to like, you know, I have my set of dice. My friend has his, these other friends have theirs. (laughs) We can't share a deck of cards. We can't share, you know, round of shots where whatever we would have been maybe used to doing um but we can do this and it's still like a you know physical experience together um even though we're all isolated and my wife's friend has a um, vineyard in up in long island and um she had sent wine and wigs to this group of friends um so that they could all you know get together and have this kind of (laughs) theatrical meeting right Uh, and they like played never have i ever and stuff and i i think this (laughs) might have been one of their birthday parties i think it was a birthday party um but i think ways of trying to bring the digital realm into your room a little bit is a fun way of thinking about what some of the possibilities could sure. be. Sure. I um we're going to play dice tonight. Yeah, I started a like alternative book club where you don't have to have read the same book. You just share <laughs> about the book you're reading. Um and of course like, you know, there's less discussion of specifics, but you can still have really interesting conversations and, yeah. you know, you might find a book that you want to read um, through that. So that's been my little contribution. It's called the Burn It Down Book Club. <laughs> <laughs> it's like burn down the normal book club. Um, yeah. So I also just want to ask you about sure. – um, you photographed the – basically you had hung these nets on the hoops – and now mm-hmm. the hoops are are taken down with the nets, and you've been photographing those backboards without the without the nets, right? Yes, I just thought that it was necessary for me to document it. It's now part of the trajectory of the project, and I was now this is a new you know sort of chapter in the life of these courts um and i felt really compelled you know the the second that i heard a story or saw an image that it was happening you know i just couldn't kind of sit with that information without going and it was wild i went to that amount of parks and i didn't take a single shot (laughs) Um, yeah i went you know i i interacted with some people at a distance um you know, people are still playing. You know, I would. I think it's important to note that, you know, even on the court, there's a, a Cooper Park is right by my studio, and there was, you know, a f- seemingly a, a couple. Um, I when I was rolling around, I saw like two different, you know, sort of father son. Um, you know, it's important to note that if you are quarantined together, 
then it's totally fine for you, you know, and maybe we can get into the minutia of if there was a germ on the court or on the, you know, if there's bacteria somehow and now the ball bounced and the ball bounced off. I get it. Right. But if if you're getting into that level of minutia, then you're going to be afraid of the outside world indefinitely. Um, But I think that people are still using that space the way that, um, you know, we all have come to know it to be Mm -hmm. this kind of sanctuary that you can visit. Um, I haven't very much. I did, you know, the first couple of days, but I haven't. um, And I kind of need to. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I photographed them and then I made some cyanotypes with those images, with the photographs. Um, again, just because I, I was really, you know, these weeks was me gearing up to going and, you know, refreshing nets that have come down or putting up new ones at locations that I had not been to last summer. Um, and I was going to, you know, be out in the streets every nice day. You know, because now is the season where people really get to go and use these spaces. Um, So I was prepared and really looking forward to it. I was about to take a road trip with my father um, and all of that stuff is on hold and, you know, unsure of what it will look like. I would love to see uh, the city could make a commitment to when all of the hoops that they've taken down go back up that they all have nets yeah oh my gosh i think that you could make that happen (laughs) i mean i I think think we're going to try yeah i mean i think just um even though it's really important to acknowledge that basketball is not the most important thing right now it's also important to recognize how we can contribute and how we can make things better and that is maybe the thing that you can do to make things better is like push this idea that, well, if you're going through all the trouble of rehanging the hoops, they might as well all have nets on them. Yeah. I mean, basketball is not the most important issue, but it is one of these things that, you know, it's bringing people together and it is a therapeutic space and the mental health component, um, of both the impact of, of, uh, you know, what COVID-19 has done to communities around the world, but also what the future holds being so unsure, you know, having something that is so familiar and, you know, that is invaluable. I don't, I, I'm looking around my studio as I'm having this conversation and I bought, uh, my, my four-year-old, um, she's like my niece, uh, good friend of mine's daughter one of those little tykes you know little nerf um it's like the mid-sized one because she's four now so it's kind of tall right i'm ready to just set it up in my studio get this thing out (laughs) they were they don't you know they weren't ready to receive it they're very cautious and have since left brooklyn to go to philly temporarily uh but I'm ready to just get some games going by myself in my (laughs) studio just to feel that way. Right. Yeah. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge when we talk about basketball not being the most important thing that um, I know for me, and I, I think this for you too, is like basketball is how you get to the more important things. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
using basketball as this like access point to discuss community engagement, to discuss like systematic injustices and and um, all of these these issues that seem so large when we when we have a point to enter them um, that's more specific than it yeah. the the problems feel. Um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, you can like develop more of a vocabulary, or you know, it's just it's helpful. So. Yeah, I well, just the, think... when the last time we spoke, we touched on the uh, the film that I'm working on. Yes. Um, and we had plans to do a bunch of follow up uh, that you know a couple of weeks ago, where it really hit, and all of that stuff is on hold. Obviously, nobody's you know we were going to be gearing up to have another tournament this year in the park, um, and again. It's like what what where does this leave all of us um again this is a really you know kind of privileged position to say oh where does this leave my creative practice um but it's also been everything to me so i you know i i don't want to think that the world revolves around what is happening you know as it relates to the game of basketball or even art certainly not the world revolving around my specific relationships to either one of those things. But again, I can't emphasize enough that, you know, I'm not the only one looking forward to that tournament. The tournament sure. was so crucial for so many people to, this is the tournament for Torian. Can you remind me of his last name? Yeah, Torian Spears. And yeah. he had four T tournament. He was, um, a sort of regular basketball player on one of the courts where you switched out the net, or put up new nets. Yeah, and I guess yeah, for anybody recently. that 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 didn't hear once, you know, so I'm working on a film uh, commemorating uh, the life of Torian Spears who passed away while playing on a court. Uh, they call it Frost Park. We would like to see it renamed to be Torian Spears Courts, uh, but in the Cooper Houses and. Um, some of his friends got together to to create a tournament last year where they bought brought people from a bunch of the neighboring houses and some and had I think I think it was sixteen teams maybe uh, maybe if I'm not mistaken um, and they played a you know eight week long tournament in a in a finals it was all really um, pretty yeah. remarkable. Uh, and we did a lot of documenting it, and as well as some of the other efforts that are being done to kind of keep his name alive and, and um, some of the way that the community has kind of responded and come together. But, you know, where where does it the future leave us? You know, eventually we'll, we'll get there. Um, but we were hoping to have it, you know, right. done soon and you know i know, you I know think... other than some text message exchanges with some of the crew it's like we're all we're all completely up in the air sure yeah i mean i think if you on a day-to-day -day basis before this happened if you like sort of believed that your work was making some kind of positive con contribution then like there will be time for that soon i, I mean i hope yeah. um yeah. But yeah, I but think that's why it's been a roller coaster dilemma. for me to think while while people are so angry at the you know, the sight of people playing basketball. Yes, I know. That's <laughs> such a yeah, I know. And I mean, I just think um, the only other time I've really seen backboards without hoops is 
in locations where the basketball court has been turned into a parking lot. So mm, the structures yeah. are still there, but the and the backboards are still there, but the hoops have been taken down. Um, yeah. And it is this sign of like, uh, just uh, that you don't like, you shouldn't be there. You know, it's just because the hoop is this circular sort of gathering point, and when you remove the hoop, it's like there's no, there's nothing to bring you in. And... Yeah, and it has it has spooky looking and feeling. I came across quite a few while I was in Peru, um, in sort of the Sacred Valley, um, because they have these structures. Maybe you've seen them, where it's like a soccer goal and a basketball hoop. And I think they're pretty cool looking, actually. I'll send you some pictures. Um, that it's like the goal, you know, the typical soccer goal then kind of has a another pole that extends up and has a, you know, the, the hoop on it. Um, and I think that just the game of basketball was not as common in peru in this area and i think they just kind of over time just became soccer field um but it, even that was you know a site to me that when i was there was like i would like to return here and return these hoops to functionality um yeah and yeah well one thing i really appreciate about the photographs that you're making and the cyanotypes you're making of the hoopless backboards is that it's a time and a place. Like it, it feels like photojournalism in a way, but you're including alternative um, processes of photography. But this idea that this isn't happening everywhere. I mean, basketball is a, isn't as much of a part of every place. So this is about New York. I mean, it's about other big cities too, but it's, I mean, the, New York's getting the most attention for it. And then it's also about the specific time. Like they feel like they could be postcards or they could be on the front page of a newspaper. Um, and I I think that that's not something that you can always get with the cyanotype. Yeah. Well, I do think, you know, for me, it was just kind of another level of the like methodology that I'm trying to apply to my project. Uh, but I do think that it's happening in so many locations. I mean, Abdi told me that they were doing it in New Orleans. Friends of mine have told me that they're doing it in Philadelphia. Uh, I know that they're doing it in Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, I, I think artists at large are trying to find ways to effectively respond to what's going on. Um, and for me, I you know, I'm apprehensive about kind of changing my visual language and trying to do something that, you know, responds to this pandemic specifically. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of artists are doing, you know, incorporating masks and gloves and so forth into the work. Um, and I think that for me, it was just, you know, look, I, this is now part of the story of what I'm doing. And hopefully we, you know, a year, two, three years from now, we'll all look back on this being a specific time that we were all able to come out of. Um, and the project will continue. And then the, this will have just been a chapter in it. Um, so it was important for me to kind of make sure I, you know, 
did the diligence of being able to include that chapter. Um, I would love to go out and photograph every single one and find out exactly how many the city took down. Um, and maybe there will come a time that, that, that will be an appropriate action. I just, you know, I'd scare the hell out of my people, the people that love me if I was to go and do that. I mean, it's, it is, it's a scary time to be anywhere in the world, but I do, um, New York has a lot of, you know, visual signifiers of just how scary it is right now. I mean, visual the amount of, yes. yeah, and and I guess audible ones too, because, yes. you know, you, you try to disconnect and the amount of ambulances that you hear um, is alarming for sure. I think that that's um, a really poignant way to put it is that, um, because there are visual signifiers that kind of keeps that fits in really well with your the project that's already sort of dedicated to this place Mm -hmm. um and then this place is filled with changes because of the pandemic which i actually think in some ways like the seeing the changes is really important because it's it's places that aren't necessarily preparing or anticipating what is about to happen where there are no visual changes where yeah. like life is going on as as it was before. That's that's the very scary thing right now. Well, I'll I'll give you an example that I went to a court um, in Bed or in Crown Heights called Lincoln Terrace, and it is a beautiful park to have play ball. And there's three, I think there's three full courts um, and a bunch of like weights, you know, sort of the you know park gym thing uh handball courts and then there's this is a massive park and i knew that it was one that gets a lot of runs and so according you know i couldn't find any kind of list of what the city i i I didn't go as far as asking parks department maybe i should um but i figured that was one that they would have taken the rims off of um but i mean i guess i also took the opportunity to go and just check on you know, which nets still are in good shape, which aren't, which look fine, which are ripped, so forth, just kind of keeping up with the experiment of the whole thing. But um, when I got to Lincoln Terrace, um, it was packed. Hmm. And uh, it was, you know, just as busy as the day that we installed the nets. When um, was this that you that it was packed? This was on Monday? Two no. days ago. No, no, no. This was on Saturday. Excuse okay. me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was packed full of people. Um, and I had all these conflicting feelings because on the one hand, when you, you know, feel this oppressive state of fear and, you know, discomfort, you know, seeing people being free and unaffected is like, you know, it's kind of nice to see signs of life. And I, and I don't have that response to like seeing people playing basketball and being angry about it. But at the other side of that, I didn't get very close. I took a couple of photos, but again, all these visual signifiers in the meantime, my nets were not there because none of the backboards were the same the city had since replaced 
the old style New York City backboards with new fiberglass backboards. And so the court did look good. I mean, I'm yeah. like, you know, I, I like to check on the nets. I would like for my nets to still be there. Sure. sure. Just out of some, you know, weird pride for my nets being nice ones or whatever. But seeing that the court had changed, but no one was treating it any differently in the climate that we're in was all these bizarre feelings. Um, I'd imagine that sites like that are why people feel like we might shut the parks down completely. Um, and it, it, you know, it might be a necessary step. It's a, it's a really, it's a sad one. Um, but I think that, you know, people are disenfranchised from the information that they receive on a daily basis. And that is a cycle that's hard to break. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it's like this boy who cried wolf thing where, you know, if you told people that they needed to be concerned with all of these things that really had no bearing on their lives. And now you're telling them, well, no, this, this one actually does. Um, sure. And that it presents in so many different ways that are oftentimes similar to other, um, you know, a cold or a flu or things like that. Like there can be some of the same symptoms. Um, it's hard to, to know that even if you know someone who's experiencing it, you might not know that like that is what they're sick with. Yeah. So it might yeah. still not seem real. Yeah. Or what the consequences of that sure, action yes. might really be. But it's also like, at what point do we, what's proactive going and taking down the back, the, the rims from the backboards and leaving these, incomplete things in the park or would that amount of resources better be allocated to going and trying to educate the people that are there? I um, mean, I think that that question is like always answered with like the quickest, most violent thing, which is removing the hoops rather than interacting and supporting and engaging with people. It's just wild to think that, you know, if, if that 1700 figure, which I find to be insane, I think that's like the amount of rims total in New York City and in all of the park locations in all of the five boroughs. Um, but if they, you know, even taking them down at 80 parks, that's a lot of time and resources. Definitely. Um, you know, but again, I'm like, I, I want to reserve judgment because I'm also those parks employees that went and took them down you know everybody needs to keep working if you can and and then that's yeah uh, so many art workers so many service workers everybody's been laid off everybody's been furloughed you know nobody would have expected that you are able to dedicate the amount of time and energy that you do to salaried staff positions that only get deemed unessential and now you're stuck um you know so i'm like i certainly you know i'm not angry with those employees or angry at anybody you know if anything i'm just acutely aware of that this is gonna gonna be something that we need to keep an eye on um especially as it is like you know can't be 
surrendering freedoms. Um, it's just not something that we want to go down that path. Yes, and I think if the situation has shown us um, that there's very few individuals to blame for this, it's like the the poorly constructed systems as far as healthcare goes, as far as you know, social safety nets, as far as many things just are not put together right, and so it's it's it can't be one person's fault, even though there are people there are people that have been seemingly. Um, sort of pouring gasoline on the fire. The, the fire yeah. is not from a person. Yep. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> now that we've wrapped that up so nicely, <laughs> um, <laughs> do you think when... I'm going to ask a little NBA um, sure. prediction question. If we don't see the NBA till next season, which I'm hoping isn't the case, but if that is the case, will Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid still both be on the Sixers? That's a great question. Um, (laughs) Well, did you see what happened with Joel Embiid and Sixers ownership by any chance? No. When? So... I don't, I, I don't follow every, you know, internal drama of every NBA organization, but the Sixers I do. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, so they laid off their employees. Right. Um, well, yes, yes, yes. I remember this. Okay. Keep and going. so then Joel Embiid announced that he was going to contribute. I don't remember how much it was. Um, but a substantial amount of money um, to relieve those uh, that in the organization and that work at the Wells Fargo Center, um, giving providing them some relief. The same way that Zion um, and, a, and a bunch of other people stepped up to do, yeah. which is, you know, it's cool to see individuals making a contribution. But I also think, you know, again, it goes back to there's some of these corporations that have larger safety nets billionaires. Uh, of, their, of, of their own, uh, you know? And so anyway, they um, reversed their decision uh, after Joel Embiid um, came into the fray um, and they ended up doing, you know, somewhat of the right thing. I don't, you know, I'm not involved on a, on a personal level, so I don't know exactly how it all took place. I'm just kind of going off sure. of the news that I read. Um, but it definitely, you know, there was typical Joel, like kind of a jabby, playful tweet um, involved. Yeah. But it pointed out that, you know, there might be even rifts that we haven't had on play out in the kind of public consumption circles uh so i don't know um and if for some reason they were both returning in sixers uniforms does ben simmons return ben simmons return with a jump shot (laughs) do you think that that's what he's up to right now (laughs) like i'm gonna quarantine him (laughs) and it we're gonna make a gym that's just about 14 feet by 14 sure. feet. I don't even need you to shoot a three, Ben. How about right. you just shoot some foul shots? 
<laughs> You'd have to like build something right under the basket so there could be no layups or something. <laughs> um, that he would have to just like hit a very restricted zone. Um, that is that's a really good. That's an interesting take, and um, I'll be looking out for it. Um, well, I think there's also, you know, I think a lot of people probably have had in any industry that if you if your industry is shut down, um, then you've had the time, like many of us, to reflect on, you know, maybe what you would like to be doing with your life. And I'm just curious about how many athletes that – you know, you've lived and breathed this your entire life. You've been, you know, never this far from sure. competitive basketball um, or any sport. You know, you, you, you train in and out, in and out, in and out. And so how many of them are now like, you know, maybe I like not playing basketball every <laughs> day versus those that are like dying without it. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of curious, you know, like that drive that people kind of always reference, like, oh, he wants it more or whatever. I wonder how many people are going to be like, you know, I don't want that. I want to be an author. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I want to work for the parks department. I I, I really (laughs) like the idea that, you know, because right now professional athletes, at least, you know, in the NBA NBA still have some like financial security. And, you know, of course, they have these like cushions that most other people don't the idea that they could maybe also experience some sort of existential crisis about their life choices uh, that people in other fields are also experiencing where I'm like, Oh my God, like I dedicated my life to like worshiping a basketball net. Like how do I get paid here? You know? Um, so yeah, I think that that would be, that's a great thought that I really enjoy is that they might also be like, eh, basketball, what does it all mean? You know? <laughs> Well, I also, and like, where, where will the new ways of adding value into other people's lives, like the way that basketball and any athletes have always done the kind of like make a wish thing, or, you know, you heard about with, with Kobe um, after he passed away that, you know, without ever putting out press releases, he would make these hospital visits. Um, I wonder where that will lead people in the future is what level of kind of how do you dedicate more of your time and energy because people will have been affected by this there's gonna you know the same way that there will have been the kind of families of 9-11 victims you know here in new york city there's going to be families of people that passed from covid Mm -hmm. and they should you know, be given the same kind of level of attention and support that we would have given anyone else that would have, you know, experienced a massive tragedy like this. So where, where does that lie? Like, I just saw something today um, about how um, someone is asking for uh, art and design and decor to be donated to some of the pop-up hospitals, because there's been a study um, to say that, you know, the amount of um, pain that patients experience or their recovery times um, are accelerated by the conditions in the hospital. Um, So having, you know, art and nice things around actually has a scientific uh, impact. Um, So, you know, where, where, where's that going to be? You know, I think everybody again, and, and, and I am there too, that like just in this holding pattern of, I'm not exactly sure 
what my energy is best spent and all of the opinions that I respect the most are telling me to just stay home. So I don't know what to do yet, but I think there's going to be another wave of, okay, now I've stayed at home this amount of time and I had the chance to reflect and I do want to help people out. I do want to have an impact. And now where do I put that energy? Right. Um, you know, and, and I, and I don't, I'd hope that that's going to happen. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of athletes, at least those that I've followed, have acknowledged how fortunate they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even just having, you know, a big home, <laughs> uh, you know, sure. to a, a home that you can like set up, you know, the Nerf hoop or whatever and play is, is a huge blessing. You right. know, think about people that are housing insecure. You think about people that, you know, in our city, in New York, so many people live with roommates. Yeah. What if the, what if you don't feel safe about what your roommate's decision making is looking like? Oh, right totally. Now? That is something I've thought about so much. What if Jeez. you live with somebody that you don't like? Yeah, or who you know? scares if, you? I mean, it's just. Or that's the other. You know, there's. I've seen a lot with you know victims of abuse. What if what if people are stuck living with their abusers? Yeah. You know, and and this is maybe then there's areas where people can can take care of one another in the future I'm, I'm i'm hoping to find more of them you know the whole process of, of going through the, the gold nets was just a way of saying okay i can i can help people that i care about that i might not know them but i care about them and here's a way it's a really easy entry point um and i think that people are waking up to why that is a healthy thing to do with your time sure you know, even like those that are out there given like weird meditation, not weird. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, <laughs> uh, but you know, like, and like workout classes and so forth on Zoom. Like, I think people are trying to, to yeah. put their energy towards taking care of each other. And I really appreciate that. And hopefully that you know? continues beyond this. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Well, thank you, yeah. Jeremy, for making Thank you, time. Abigail. It's always so nice. Likewise. Yeah, it was fun to chat with you the other week, too. Yeah, I Off know. Off wax, as Jill knows. I, <laughs> I do have a lot of <laughs> off-wax conversations with my podcast guests that I appreciate. Um, but... Well, I send them, send them the well wishes to yes. your partner and your extended fan. Uh, you, too. And, you know, I got my team in Arizona that were all... Uh, you know, in touch very closely. So right, yeah. yeah let me. Yeah, I mean, I know it's like an hour. I mean, if there's just anything I can do as, uh, for your family, just let me know. Oh, appreciate. Just that. I, I've tried to get my neighbors to let me help them, so I'm just extending that beyond the neighborhood. <laughs> no, I I appreciate that. Um, you know, my my cousin's baby. They actually both went through a flu um thankfully it was just a flu um sure. but in tucson and they were um you know figuring it out step by step so i'll keep it in mind they're good now everybody yeah. has their health everybody has their good. wits about them but um but i'll keep it in mind for sure well take care of yourself keep up with the the protocols <sighs> that you've developed keep an eye on the Thanks. the hoops or the lack thereof and um Thanks. we'll talk very soon and lysol that 
orange net and make something <laughs> beautiful with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to send you a photo. <laughs> cool. All right, we'll talk soon. All right, talk soon. Everybody. Bye.